don't sweat the technique. Hey, Houston, you're live in the hive with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Before we get into the uh, what other team build in the NFL, I want you to just run by you guys. There is some development in the case of Bobby Miami. First off, some of the textures don't really believe it. Ongorn Juan, Willie bought a burner phone to confess his secret love through this uh, uh, Elias or alias. Um, nine four five eight. I'm pretty sure he's a bot. Didn't Bobby Miami just tell Polly G his show is the best sports radio show ever? Did he say that? I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. That's what Bobby Miami. You better, you better come clean on that one, brother. Five eight five six says it was probably Dell. Okay. okay. Six zero three six. Hello. This show is good. Me love it like my motherland. I from Dallas, but love you more. Please send special security number so <laughs> I can good. thank you with cash. <laughs> That's well done. Six zero three six. But here is the major development in the case that is Bobby Miami. Bobby Miami has sent us a selfie. Oh, Bobby Miami decked out in his Amazon gear in his Amazon van is wearing a Miami Dolphins hat. Bobby Miami is very, very real. There you go. Too real. After oh, looking B-Mac I, think and I, believe. I think it's time for you to apologize. We never Jeremy. doubted it. Hey, I never said it wasn't true. I'm just saying I'm sniffing out a little potential you BS. Call, yeah, yeah, you called I'm it saying BS. It's possible that there's some BS here. I, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. I have, to, I have to take the L on this one. I have to eat the L. Jameis wants to eat dubs. I'm going to eat the L here. At least you don't have to eat the Sunday paper, John McClain. Oh, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's pretty bad. Bobby Miami, I apologize to you. I see now that you are very, very real. And every ounce of love that you have for the Killer Bees, I give you a fraction of that back. <laughs> you just hope that he didn't <laughs> tell Pauly that Pauly had the best show. I'm, I'm a little worried about that. Yeah, if he's yeah. telling every show on the lineup. Now you got me which, worrying. Yeah, I mean, then 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 you're now just, I'm questioning it. Yeah, but we, we appreciate. Hopefully, that. he'll text in during the best of tonight as well. <laughs> yeah, it's the best show. I love all you guys. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best show in the lineup. Um, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. All right, when you when you think Houston Texans build, you you don't think San Francisco 49ers build, right? Fair. Right. That's, that's fair, fair to say because Forty ers Super Bowl contender, Houston Texans not a Super Bowl contender. But when you look. When D'Amico Ryan's first year as an assistant, and he's been with San Fran and with Shanahan every year as an assistant coach, first as a quality control guy, inside linebackers, worked his way up to D.C. when Robert Sala left. This is his first time he's been a coach anywhere other than San Francisco. When D'Amico Ryan's arrived in San Fran, it was 2017. 49ers weren't a good football team yet. That was Shanahan's first year. Shanahan went 6-10. and 10, Four and twelve in his first two years. Then they took a huge jump up, won thirteen games, and they've been a winning team ever, ever since. So Shanahan had, did some losing. We forget that Shanahan only won ten games in his first two seasons. And I, I don't really want to compare rosters here because, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I remember exactly what the San Francisco roster looked like in 2017. But that was Garoppolo, and you know they didn't have the skill guys like Carlos Hyde led them in rushing. A uh, Goodwin that led them in receiving. Like it's not the same 49ers that we know. Uh, today in 2023, as it was in 2017. So roster builds, take that, you know, put them away for a second. But could you tolerate D'Amico Ryan's Texans going six and ten in year one, four and twelve in year two? Like in, in San Fran, took that huge jump in year three. They won 13 games in year three. But let's put that aside for a moment. The D'Amico Ryan effect. It, it, everybody's loving it. Everybody's bullish on the Houston Texans. 
How does this city feel if the Texans win 10 games in their first two years? I don't think they feel great. Especially if they go backwards, 6-10 and 10 to 4-12. Yeah, and 12. yeah. I, I was going to say flip those. I, I could see them going with the 4 and then the 6 in the first two years of D'Amico, though I still don't think the city would be very pleased with that, especially after the black cloud of trading your pick. But I think it's more realistic. I, I think that D'Amico's got to get his feet wet. He's got to get experience. He's got to understand the job and the game responsibilities and calling plays or not calling plays. And then on the fly, they're still putting together the roster and trying to accumulate all the young players that are going to be pieces going forward. So I think it's more realistic when you say, hey, it, those those might flip-flop a little bit, but the first couple of years are still going to probably have their bumps in the road. But along the way, they're still going to be a better football team. They're going to have more structure, more discipline, more organization, more modernized coaching, a, a, a better grasp of today's NFL. And I think that they're going to be better for the long haul. I just think that whether it's fair or not, the fan base has a totally different perception, and they are expecting a lot more a lot sooner. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously it would be disappointing if they went to four wins in a second season, but if that's the scenario, I have to ask myself, how do they get there? And they get there because C.J. Stroud isn't a good quarterback. And if that's the case, I think all the heat goes on Nick Casario. He's out of the building. He's fired. And D'Amico is kind of given an excuse. You know, maybe they could say, oh, maybe fans will say it wasn't his draft pick, or maybe that wasn't the move he wanted to make. He was more of the Will Anderson guy, and Nick Casario forced the, the, uh, the pick of Stroud. So I think we'll – I mean, not only because, obviously – with what happened with uh, David Culley and uh, Lovey Smith, they're not going to fire D'Amico after two years. No. So he would obviously keep his job, but I think a lot of the blame would be put on uh, Casario and Stroud at that point. That's what Willie says, too. Texans win 10 games in the next two years combined, then someone should be fired somewhere else. D'Amico's seat, and I'm, I'm not even saying that, like D'Amico's seat's going to be hot if they only win 10 games in the first uh-huh. two, two years. I, I think he has... I think D'Amico has five years minimum. Nick. I mean, again, our conversation yesterday, I think that's where Nick's name comes in. But I think two years is the earliest for Casario to get fired. Like, if the Texans go six and – they're going to go six and ten because there's 17 games now. But if they go six and 11, four and 13, I think that's that would cause Nick to lose his job. And you're bringing in a general manager to work alongside uh, D'Amico Ryans. But I think that's the earliest we could potentially see, see Nick Casario fired, who just got a raise and a promotion. I don't, simply because of the other things on the table. He made the trade that looks to be very risky. That, you know, as we as we get more of a finality to who won the trade a year or so down the road, that's going to be critical. But, if Kenyon who is he answering to? He's answering to Cal McNair, right? Yeah. Cal McNair loved that trade. Coming there loved that trade because the Texans are relevant. He got a quarterback. There's buzz in the city. It's fun. Like, but, but Nick Casario's boss loved that trade. Like, go watch the behind the scenes with Cal McNair. He's like, oh yeah, we traded. Like, he's so pumped up. But, but you hear me out because I'm saying that's not just the one individual thing. It's if Kenyon Green falls flat on his face and looks like he's a complete bust, and, and then the Browns have a really good year and you don't and you start piecing together the pieces. If, if C.J. Stroud doesn't look great, there's going to be a, a lot of, even Cal, who do, isn't the most football-savvy mind in the world, might start looking at things a little differently. See, that's where, that's where I have a difficult time believing that. Because that Cal McNair, like, let's think about his mind, and you're right, doesn't have a great football mind, but that same Cal McNair gave Bill O'Brien total control of the organization, that Cal McNair then file, fired the guy he gave total control of the organization to four games into the next season. He gave general manager duties to Jack 
Easterby. He allowed the DeAndre Hopkins trade, whether he was meddling, whether he didn't want to get involved, whatever. He allowed for the hiring of David Cully, and then they didn't even change staffs the next year when they promoted from within a four-win team and made Lovey Smith basically an interim head coach. And I just think shaming 19,000 times and then shame him because I think that he hopefully he learned a lesson through all that. I'm not saying Stroud is going to be the, the, the deciding factor here, but I think, and the other one that you hope doesn't come true, but if Stingley doesn't look good in year two, but I think there are scenarios that are going to play out to where if Nick made moves that backfire or look like they failed, that Nick could get fired a lot sooner than two years. Yeah, and I would put this, I would even base this, uh, the probability of this on what we've seen from Cal's tracker, because I think this is a different Texans organization now with Hannah having a larger role. And we saw them burn through two coaches in two years. I don't think they're going to have, other than D'Amico, and D'Amico, I agree, he's safe for probably five years unless it's just the worst team on the, in the NFL. Yeah. Other than that, I, I do think this Texans organization now with Hannah more, more in control, having more say, is showing more urgency, and that might lead itself to a quick exit. If, Like Joel says, if Stingley doesn't work out, if Kenyon Green doesn't work out, and if C.J. Stroud especially doesn't look good, and they're only winning four games, then I think Casario's out the door. Hannah, Hannah so what was that timeline? A year, yeah, like, okay. uh, yeah, two years. Here's okay, two. So this year well, and next. See, I think that I think he gets at minimum two years as well. Blankers is illustrating a picture where it happens prior, like probably it could after happen this prior year. to that. Yeah, Pro, uh, this like the end of this season. Well, and I, I have to stick with what I said, which was a, a, in the off season. I said if we're sitting here a year from now and we're still having the kind of issues with Nick and looking at the way this scenario has all played out with a lot of missteps and hiccups, I think he's rightfully so, on the hot seat, and he could lose his job. Because remember, there was a lot of people calling for his job a year ago. I said, I think he's got to have at least one more year. But I, that's why, just to, to kind of get the accurate timeline, I'll say that I still could see a scenario where it's sooner than two years. See, I think that they, I don't think they view this year as a win-now season. And it, it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth when you say that because they traded their own first-round draft pick. But I still view the Houston Texans looking at this build and this organization saying that, this is still part of the process. This is still – and they'd be silly not to. Like, if you're thinking this team's a playoff team, then you're being unrealistic with the expectations of a very young team that's more than likely 99.9% chance going to have a rookie quarterback, that's going to have a rookie center. So, if, like, if you ask Nick Casario after, uh, you know, on True Serum, because he doesn't drink, so you, give him, you inject him with True Serum, what do you think the Houston Texans are going to do this year? He's probably going to tell you, I hope we can flirt with a 500 record. Like, they don't expect this team to be great. D'Amico Ryan's, even in his press conferences, talks a lot about this. He says, yeah, we're trying to win, but he talks about the youth of this organization and how they have to go through some growing pains and have to learn and have to develop. And when you're saying words like develop, when you're talking about, you know, being young and having a learning curve, that means that you're not quite ready to win. And that's not to say that they're going to finish 4-13. and 13. It just it's the difference between a team that's under five hundred and like over five hundred. A team that has expectations to be in the playoffs. And if we rewind and talk about the the Jets again for a second, like the Jets aren't an organization that has like a bunch of players that made the postseason. But the moment you bring in an Aaron Rodgers, the expectations for that team is we're a postseason or bust, and anything else is a ma- major failure. If the Houston Texans said that right now, somebody in the lockers like we're playoffs or bust, no one's taking that seriously. No, no they're not, and. I, I realistically, they shouldn't. But again, there's unrealistic expectations that have kind of been put out there that our, our people are left to actually have to not only contemplate but almost expect because they made a move that basically said that they don't think that their pick is going to be anywhere near 
as valuable as the Browns pick. And they also, obviously, they also had their eye on a certain player that they really wanted. But at the same time, we kept wondering why you didn't throw the Cleveland pick out there more. If you knew that you still weren't quite there yet, don't. I don't, I don't think it would. I don't think it would, could have got it done. I think they. I think Casario tried. I really. I don't do. know that he did. I don't feel like he did. That then he should be fired. That, there you go. Like if if that's why I believe. I, I don't think he's as foolish to be like, oh yeah, we're going to give you our pick, not Cleveland's pick. I think that it became a negotiation, and they were told, look, we're not going to do it for Cleveland's pick. It's got to be your pick, or there's no deal. I think that's the most likely scenario. I would love to know the truth behind that because it's. Gonna... Remember, we saw the video, but the video doesn't tell you. No, everything. the video is tough to tell, like yeah. really what's going on. You can, and they also had tons of negotiations prior to that point. That's what I was going to say. You I... don't see all of the talks between the two and text messages and all those other things. He... It's just when you saw the video, it added fuel to the fire of like, did he ever even try and counter and say, take the Browns pick? Here's why I would love to know the real conversations with that, because it completely changes our view of Casario based on which way he went with that. We'll discuss that next. Also, Willie asked us a question on the Twitch that I want to talk about. Who finishes in last place in the AFC South this year? 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5, right where you belong. That song belongs to me! Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. 50 Cent will be back in Houston next week for the final lap tour. Catch all your favorite songs by the talented rap star at the Toyota Center on Thursday, August 24th, week from tonight. Caller number 10 right now to 713-780-3776 wins a pair of tickets to see the show. You can also get your tickets now at toyotacenter.com. 50 Cent, final lap tour a week from tonight. Go, Jeremy. I mean, I haven't had anybody tell me that bum, since bum, 03. Bum, bum. Did Spencer doesn't call you that in any of the promos? No, oh. no. He calls me white, which I'm not a fan of. Doesn't he also call you something like Brenham? Yeah, he doesn't say my last name right yeah. either. He calls me like the town that has the bluebell in it. Anyways. Uh, Kelly Eco get you? Yeah, he doesn't know my name. Um, Nick Casario. The, the reason we were talking about Nick Casario, the, the trade, the draft day trade, blah, 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 blah. You paint the scenario that you know Casario is perhaps offering the Texans pick, not the Browns pick. I have a hard time believing that. I believe that Casario wanted to trade the Cleveland pick, ultimately was forced to give the Houston pick, or there wouldn't have been a trade. We we don't know. We have no idea. Like in, in, unless somebody writes a book about it in 20 years, we have no clue. I would pay a lot of money to hear those negotiations, though, because it totally cha- it would change your perspective of how you feel about Nick Casario based, I think, on those negotiations. It would move the needle a right, long because way. Because if, if your theory is right, I, I want to get rid of Nick Casario. Right. Gary's right when Nick when he says Nick Casario is overwhelmed and he doesn't know what he's doing because your scenario, the scenario you paint, like I would be out on Nick Casario. The scenario that I paint, it's still not something I'm totally comfortable with, but I don't think he's incompetent. You know what I mean? Right. Knowing the truth of that, I think would give us a lot of more intel information to tell us how we should feel about Nick Casario. Oh, it would go. It would go a long way. It wouldn't just be like, well, that's one of the things would factor in. That would basically be a telltale. In one direction or the other, and it would be a lo- it would move the needle a long way. Like like you said, if if the Browns pick was never on the table and this was just about you giving up your own pick, then Nick should be fired. 
And if he was trying hard for the negotiation, and at the end of the day he just couldn't get it done, but he couldn't imagine a scenario where he passed on Will Anderson and he wanted both these guys, then I appreciate that you know doing his job, and we talked about it, don't do it with you know apprehension and being afraid to pull the trigger on a big move. If these are the two guys that you analyze as the best two players in the draft for you and you had to have Will Anderson and you went out and went for it and went and got him and you were negotiating the whole way, I'd feel totally different than if you never got the Browns pick on the table in the forefront to say that's who I'd want to give up. Yeah, it would be fascinating to have that information. I would love to see that. 6941, Hannah McNair's in charge. What does that really say about Cal's football IQ? It says that he's low-ass Tui. Uh, could you see Jerry's wife making decisions? Problem. Uh, but then again, that's what that uh, this organization has been all about. Uh, forget Jerry Jones and his wife for a second. I think sometimes... Uh-huh. You have to be able to step back and realize the best thing for your organization is making what some people would look at and question whether the deci- what decisions you're making. The fact that he was a bumbling buffoon and an idiot the way he was perceived and a lot of the stories that came out from video games sitting on the floor in his office with no real idea from anybody in there what he did uh, to the ways that we question whether he knew about trades or some of the biggest trades in the history of the team or hiring to a, a competent adult in the room in Hannah that seems with everything that since we've seen her come to the forefront seems like ever since she's been involved it's a lot more believable and you can have a lot more confidence that they are going to do things the right way this time around and I think that's encouraging we know from a dominant egotistical Jerry Jones centric world he's never given up control to anybody and even though his son is heavily involved he's still at the top of the 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 charts in the the pecking order. He would never do that because his ego wouldn't let him. I think if Cal was smart enough to at least realize, hey, even if, I'm still going to be involved, but let, let my wife get in here because she seems to have a firm grasp and knows how to make solid decisions. If it's the best, if it's for the best of the organization, he's able to be, step back and do that, power to him. Yeah, the the look, I, I think Hannah has more sense than, than Cool Cat Cal. Love Cool Cat Cal. But I think Hannah has more sense. But the the issue, it's not really an issue. The the concern that I have is I feel like Hannah kind of panders towards the fans. Hannah's going to do the thing that is in the best interest of business. Hannah's going to do the thing that's in the best interest of selling jerseys. Hannah's going to do the best interest of getting butts in the seats at NRG Stadium. And, and oftentimes, not every time, not even often, sometimes what's in the best interest of business isn't the best interest in building a winner. You can look to the pick on uh, the trade on draft day. Like you traded all that stuff, you you get two rookies that you're going to sell a lot of their jerseys. You're going to build buzz. D'Amico Ryan's higher. That builds buzz as well. You know, new jerseys buzz. Bringing back H Town Blue buzz. Like changing the logo buzz. So I, I'm I'm hopefully I'm optimistic about what the future looks like with this new direction with Hannah Hannah under the helm. But what concerns me is that it's more pandering business-related than it is actually building a winner. Well, I think the same way I said it, good on Cal if he's able to take a half-step back so that he can get Hannah in so that they can make better decisions. But good on Hannah for saying, football isn't my forte. That's why we hire competent people. And I'm going to let the competent people on the football side do football. But I'm also going to be a voice in the room that's able to make decisions. And from the people that have heard the kind of behind the scenes and off the cuff Hannah comments and where she is focused and how she can be tough and how she wants to do the best thing for the organization. I think that those are all massive pluses 
to where I believe that there is she understands there's a line in the sand she doesn't want to cross. I don't think she wants to get in on the football side, but I think she wants to escape from the umbrella of everybody every time they hear the Houston Texans as it relates to the front office and ownership think, what a bumbling bunch of idiots. Yeah, Look, and, and there are ways to do that. I just hope that buzz isn't the priority over winning. And I hope, that, I, and I hope that I'm wrong, and, and I hope that, you know, the – the, the, the trade on draft day works. I hope that I, I hope that I'm wrong. But one thing that I've noticed is I feel like Buzz PR priority over winning. But it's still very early. It's yeah. very early in this little Hannah tenure for calling it that. I, I would I would push back. I don't think it's to that point. I would say this. I would say that positive buzz is what they haven't had in so long that they're trying to get some positive buzz. But I think that if you want to be a winning team. You, it's harder to do when you have nothing but negative buzz around your organization. And so I think that they had a long way to go just get, to kind of get back to, to ground zero on the positive buzz side, and that's why they're o- maybe overkilling it. Yeah. But I don't think that it should it, by any means say that they're going to put that above actually winning on the football. Hey, look, you were so dormant. Maybe you had to. Mm-hmm. Maybe you had to. Lamont says the only thing the Texans-Cardinal trade tells me the Texans really wanted Anderson. Facts. Uh, the Cardinals believe the Texans will suck more than the Browns. Facts. That's all the information that we have. Like we don't, we're not privy to the negotiations. If we were privy to the negotiations, it might add some Wait, things who, to who that. Who believed list. that the Texans would suck more than the Browns? The Cardinals. Who you made the trade with? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the Cardinals demanding the there's Texans. There's no doubt. Pick I mean, I don't think that's the scenario. I don't think it was just the Cardinals. I think that was the concern. They're not there yet from a football perspective to think that they're going to be better than the Browns with all the pieces they have in place. And that's why I would question a general manager that would think otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't know what Casario thought. We, we do know what Arizona thought right. because they either, A, demanded that pick or, B, said yes to being offered uh, that pick. Uh, to Willie's question, who do you think finishes last in the AFC South? Um, I think there's three teams in play. I think the only team that's not in play here is the Jags. I, I can't envision a scenario other than Trevor Lawrence getting hurt where Jacksonville finishes last place in the AFC South. I think any of the other three teams are very much in play. I think as long as Tannehill stays upright and Derrick Henry's there, I think that they're going to have, and Vrabel's a really good coach, yeah. that I think that they're going to stay out of the cellar. I think that he, you know, he hasn't had a lot to work with. when He didn't have a lot to work with when Tannehill went down. But if Tannehill, and this is one last season where they're going to try and go for it a little bit, I think they have enough veterans and they still have some youth that I think that with the stability of the coaching staff, with the fact that they have veteran players at key positions, I don't see them being the basement. I think it's a two-team race. I think it's the Texans and the Colts. I think it's going to really be determined a lot by which rookie quarterback plays better. Yeah, I don't think that the Titans will either, but I think they're in play because the Henry's old, Tannehill's kind of mid. Uh, they didn't have a great year last year. The Colts are very much in play. Rookie quarterback, who knows the Jonathan Taylor situation. I think the Colts, though, also have a better ceiling. Like, if Taylor plays and plays like he did two years ago, that's, that's going to be a team that wins seven better games. Receivers. Uh, I would I would bet on the Texans. Colts yeah. would be second on my list. Titans third, and I would stay away. If from If I had to bet there. on it, for sure, it's the Texans is is the best bet to be in last place. And that's not really a slap in their face. They're just not there yet. We talked about for two years now the Colts trying to make a an acquisition for a veteran quarterback because they had everything else. They had solid guys on both sides of the trenches. They had solid guys and young guys at receiver, at running back, in the defensive uh, front seven, and in the secondary. I just think that they're they're well down the road past the Texans roster wise, so I would give them the nod. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN, the HRNP listener line coming up next. It's Bad Take Boulevard. Who made the list this week? 
So many bad takes on sports. What do you do with all of them? Only there is something in your head to control the things you say. Well, the killer bees use them to build an actual street where they can get run over for all eternity. 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 What's that street? Bad Take Boulevard. So many things to put on Bad Take Boulevard today. Who, who made the list? Any listeners this week? Yeah. Okay. There's one. Do you have a listen? Do you have any guess on who the listener that made the list might be? I got a couple. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple guesses. We're gonna leave Wander Franco off of this list just because it's a conversation Ooh. we don't want to have. Oh boy. <laughs> um. Gonna be a bad give, not a bad take. I shouldn't laugh at that. That's my bad. I shouldn't be laughing at that. Should not be laughing at that at all. All right, the first uh, first bad take that made the list. Uh, I was listening to. I was listening down the dial a little bit yesterday. I heard somebody who does this for a living. Saying that Dusty Baker should call the game from the dugout. I'm talking about calling pitches from the dugout. And you and I have like kind of gotten into that a little not like a heavy disagreement or anything like that. But you and I have had the conversation about like maybe Maldonado calling the game from the dugout, maybe like an Omar Lopez, whoever, like calling the game from the dugout. There was somebody who talks for a living that said that Dusty Baker should call the game from the dugout. And I about drove off the road. They must be either the flagship of a different sport. Yeah, that's oh, okay. accurate. All right, then Then I don't have to go any further. Uh, then did they say that if the count was 0-3, that they should be in a better position to hit? Yeah, it's about the same, okay. same thing. Okay, I'm with you. I'm picking up what you're putting down then. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Would this, this person that's, describe themselves as a badass from a certain city? It was actually his colleague. Oh, okay. Which is, I would expect more from him. Yeah, it wasn't the Baytown batty. Not much, Not apparently. Much. Like yeah. maybe I maybe I was wrong in expecting a little bit more. Yeah, Dusty Baker should be calling the game from the dugout. About the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is heard. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Did Dusty Baker ever play catcher either? Is Dusty Baker that kind of guy that would do those kind of things? I no. Believe it. You have people on your staff. The reason why we said Maldi and we had the conversations, which we we went back in terms of how many teams still do it, does it happen? It's because it's real baseball people talking about real baseball topics and the fact that you would have a catcher. The, the, the former catchers that are managers that have done this before. Socia was the guy that used to get involved in it sometimes. They're guys that have a real grasp and concept in terms of how you go through a lineup one, two, three times and change up your pitch sequences and what you see prevalent like the first at bat, fast, primarily fastballs. Next time they're expecting fastballs, so you mix it up. If you don't have that kind of a grasp on it and a concept, then pass on the topic. Yeah, that was uh, that was a doozy that I heard yesterday. They they make the list. I'm curious to think uh, to want. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on if you think this belongs on the list because it's a, a fascinating, it's a bold, outrageous take. I don't know if it's a bad take. I want to see where you're at on this, so Blankers and BMAC too. Jason McIntyre, who's known to be the co-host, Con Coward. Here's what he thinks that James Harden should do next year instead of playing in Philadelphia. I got to wonder, if Harden is so dug in, we noticed that he made this big statement in China. And do you know who, Colin, who's one of the most popular NBA players in China? James Harden. We just saw Lionel Messi turn down a billion dollars in Saudi Arabia. Okay? Lionel Messi said, I'll go to the MLS. I'll get a, a, a chunk of the team and the Apple profits. What if James Harden said, I'm sick of this Daryl Morey crap. No teams want me. That's fine. I'll go where I'm loved. I thought Houston loved me. They went after Fred Van Vliet. Harden had been saying for months that's where he would love to go. So where does James Harden feel the love? And the answer is China. Sometimes you got to feel the love, man. Is that a bad take? 
James Harden should play basketball next year in China. That guy is full of bad takes. Um, I, I think it's a bad take simply because Harden's already rolling in enough money. I think he, he's trying to hide behind a couple of better players so he has a chance to do what a lot of people don't think in his whole entire career he'll ever do, which is win a title. And so I think that he'd like the best of both worlds, but I don't think that he is willing to completely run and hide and just put all put all the truths on the table and say, I've really always been about just cash, and I'm going to do that. Because doing that still doesn't get you out from the one year left with Philly. You're going to go and play in, in China, and it still doesn't solidify anything for you from an NBA perspective. I, I just, I don't, I think it's a bad take because I don't think he'd, he, he didn't need the money, and I don't think he would go that far. I wonder how much he could get doing it, though. Like, how much money would he make in China for a single season? Like, 20 maybe? You think he can get 20? I think he get more than that. Really? Yeah, because I think Adidas might subsidize it a little bit, but Adidas also gets hurt by the fact that the main reason why the Harden shoe and all the different love that Harden gets from Adidas, for Adidas comes from all the national exposure he gets. You can try and capitalize on, on that in China. Yeah. Not the same kind of exposures, but I don't know if they have salary caps and how those things work for them, but I I would think he could get more than that on like a combo platter with endorsements and money and everything else. And he's getting what, 34, 35 next year? 35 with the Sixers. Adidas has got like a multi-year deal that's going to pay him 350 plus million dollars with his own shoe and all that. So that's why I said he's rolling in cash. Yeah, I don't. I, this is a bad take. Now, what's fascinating is that Harden don't want to play in Philly. Like he doesn't want to play for Daryl Morey, and I know he's trying to force his way out of there. But if Harden or if Morey plays poker with him and calls his bluff, like what what does Morey do, or what does Harden do? I think he plays in Philly. To be honest, it's a really bad spot for him to be in to try and look for leverage with a comment like this when he has zero leverage right now. He's at he's basically at the at the beck and call of the Sixers and what they want to do because he opted in. He didn't have to. He could have opted out. He could have opted out and just gone wherever he wanted to go and really just wiped his hands clean of Daryl Morey, the Sixers, the entire situation. But regardless of what the conversations that were had happened, whether Daryl did renege on a deal or not, which is not out of the realm of possibilities, the fact is he went from controlling his destiny and and doing everything his way to basically signing back for the money, but then saying, oh, by the way, once I sign back for the money, you have to trade me. And Daryl doesn't play poker that way. Yeah. So what what happens if they call each other's bluff? It, it just depends on how messy it gets. Because at a certain point, one I, I could see James saying, he told me when I did this that he was going to do this or give me this or, or make sure this happened. And that's where, just like the tampering a year ago, only on another level, it could get really messy. I yeah. mean, Kevin Durant once demanded a trade and then still came back to his team. So, I mean, the only thing that gives James Harden leverage in this situation is if he has another team that desperately want him, wants him. And it seems like the market has spoken that they don't want James Harden. Because they could lose. I mean, Harden could lose all his money, right? Like, if he doesn't show up to camp. Oh, yeah. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't participate. Depends on how long like, he sits out. He's, yeah. he's not going to make just, any money If they this just year. put him on the suspended list or whatever and he's a no-show and he's AWOL, then he loses his money. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the He'll three show teams? Up. He'll, show up. He'll show up. Maury has the leverage for sure. For sure. Did you see the three teams that are rumored to be the best odds for Harden? One is obviously the Clippers because that's where he wanted to go all along. Portland, Portland, home of Adidas, and also because he would get back the control of being the man, but I don't think Dame would be there. That would be probably for Dame, and Daryl would love that. And I don't That'd be see terrible that happening. To Henderson. Yeah, the third one is the Nets. Nets make no sense. He was there. It didn't work. And suddenly he's going to go back. 
That just doesn't make any sense to me. They got to win, though, because the Rockets have all their picks. Uh, next guy on the list is uh, a texture that we had earlier this week, 8548. Joe George asked us who we thought would be the number one fantasy quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Blankers and I both said Pat Mahomes, especially if it's a six point passing touchdown league. 8548 texted in. He said, Do you know how fantasy football works? If the Chiefs are blowing people out, they will run the football to waste clock, a.k.a. not good for quarterback fantasy stats. You just made the list. 8548, eight, you made the list. And we told you this the you other know day. How eight, blowout five, four, eight. happens when yeah. your offense plays yeah, really yeah. well. Uh, look, look at the uh, second half box scores for the Eagles last year. How did Jalen Hurts still end up doing for fantasy? Uh, great. He was, I believe, number two or number three. He was definitely top three. I mean, it, yeah. The, did the reason you get to a blowout is because you've yeah. put up tons of stats. And Andy Reid isn't really a guy to, like, take his foot off the gas and stop throwing the football. We told you this the other day, too, 8548, that Pat Mahomes last year not only led the league in passing yards, Yards, even though they were winning 14 games, but he also led the league in passing touchdowns. I went a step further because you're on the list, and I wanted to back up my case a little bit here, 8548. Do you know who the top fantasy quarterback was in 2022? Was it Josh Allen? No, it was Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes, Pat yeah. Mahomes was also, the number one fantasy quarterback last year, winning tons of games. But this seems also seems kind of like a lazy, outdated take that you're just going to assume the Chiefs are going to win by 30 every week. That's not how the NFL Even works. Even when they're up or they're down and they're yeah. having a, a roller coaster I mean, year, Pat Mahomes is still slinging it around the yard. Even when the Chiefs are the best team and they're going up against a you know a terrible team, the spread's going to be, what, 10, 12? It's not like it's going to be this 30-point blowout every week. Yeah. We need to uh, – We need. I want that guy in my fantasy football team. Uh, Lamont adding one for Bad Take Boulevard here. You just made the list. In a specific way. Uh, Today, the OG interviewed Robert Woods. I didn't hear this. Uh, OG interviewed Robert Woods and was going on about how Robert Woods' dad played for the Love You Blue Oilers. After OG finished his spill, Robert said, that's a myth. Dude is not my dad. OG replied, but it was in the LA Times. Woods said, yeah, I know that story's wrong. So OG was was Who's going at Robert Woods about who Robert Woods' dad was Lopez. because of something that was oh. in the LA Times. So OG believes in the newspaper more than the guy he's looking at eye to eye on who that guy's father is. Apparently, according to Lamont, that's that he that's deserving of the Robert list. Woods for saying that it wasn't true. Yeah, he said, "Well, it's in the paper. Must be true." It's like it's like nowadays saying, "Well, it's that's in the not internet. Just a bad Must be true." Take. That's, that's yeah, like ig- maybe ignorant. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd have to hear the actual audio. Yeah, I'm curious, it, but Lamont's always knowing the OG. He might have laughed, said the second part, the follow up, in a kind of a laughing way. But it does, certainly reading the text dry without you know hearing it certainly doesn't Not sound great. Yeah. I'll take Lamont's word for it, though. All right, that does it for Bad Take Boulevard. If you have uh, some other bad takes, just send them to Blankers at Pacman Joel. You I saw a uh, I saw a question on Twitter the other day from San Antonio Tim. Yeah, it's a real guy. Uh, he says one guy is back next year for the Astros. Wait, San Antonio Tim's a real guy, but Bobby Miami can't be? When he's on Twitter. He's like, he seems real. Okay. Seems more real than Bobby Miami. No offense, Bobby Miami. I know that See, you're real Bobby now. Bobby Miami's still coming at you. I know that you're real now. Um, one is back next year for the Astros, but only one. You have to pick one. Martin Maldonado or Dusty Baker. 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 975.com. Take his pork chop. I don't want his pork chop. I want his life. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live 
from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Brennan guy. Bobby Miami says, what do I have to do for you to believe me? We we believe you. We believe you, Bobby Well, two Miami. of the three of us believe you, were, you from the get-go. We are not Manti Teo's girlfriend. We, we, we believe we've got, you. We've got we a remote you. next week. Show up at the remote. He's busy. He drives Amazon. He's got an off day I mean, every now and then, right? I, I, I believe Bobby Miami now. Doesn't sound totally like it. Believe Bo- I do. He took a selfie of himself in a dolphin hat in his some Amazon van. was more believable. Well, I mean, like, so it like you're not, a little, I mean, he is a little bit of a shadow of doubt on it. Well, I mean, at the, the moment of introduction, I, I believe Bobby Miami is a real human being. Now, I think he might get fired by Jeff Bezos for taking a selfie in his Amazon gear inside of an Amazon van. That's a different story for a different day. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Bobby Miami says, I'm going to open a Twitter account so you know it's real. Please do that and give me all the impressions. I, but I don't think Jeff Bezos appreciate. Like seriously, I've heard Amazon's like really tough on their workers. Like you can't slack off. I don't think you're supposed to be on your phone. Like I've heard all of that with Amazon that they're really tough on their employees. I don't think Jeff Bezos is doing a background check on if Bobby Miami works for him when there's plenty of people with fake Amazon uniforms, porch pirating. Yeah, packages I didn't on I mean, the regular. I wasn't being that serious about no. the real Jeff Bezos doing that, but the real Amazon is very strict with their employees. Like, Are they? Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. Uh, Dusty or Maldonado? One of them has to be back next year. Can't say zero. Can't say both. You got to pick one to be back next season. 713-780-3776. Who are you picking and why? Dusty has to say that again. One of these guys has to be back. Dusty or or Maldonado? Did I say Dusty or Baker? Yeah. I mean, Dusty or Maldonado? Um, see, Maldi to me can be back. Maldi could be a backup. Maldi could be a bench coach. Maldi could have a role with the team. I just don't want Maldi to be the starting catcher for the Astros. But it's also that Dusty isn't awful. I question Pawpaw's belly and the gut decisions that he makes and how he he seems to like completely ignore logic and good baseball decisions to do whatever the hell he wants to do. But his team still finds a way to win, and he won a World Series. So I'm okay if both of them are back. If I have to say one versus the other, I will say that, see, there's a lot of people that want Dusty gone. I don't want Dusty gone because I think that Dusty keeps a very good culture in the clubhouse, and I don't want to rock the boat if you get the wrong guy in that job. And I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't think that Dana Brown's going to do that, but I don't know. Man, if I got to pick one or the other, I'll say Dusty's back. Okay. Yeah, I, I second when Joel said I would take Dusty back. I'm I'm hopeful, though I'm not 100% convinced, if you remove the temptation from Dusty to keep putting Maldi in there, that he'll actually actually start playing Yonder Diaz on a regular basis. Maybe he just finds someone else to be his new Maldi and continue to play over the better offensive player. But, uh, yeah, like Joel said, I don't want to rock the ship right now when the Astros are still in that championship window. So give me uh, Dusty back but remove his uh, his crutch with Maldi, and hopefully yeah. he'll start making better lineup decisions. I'm probably going. I'm probably. I'm probably going Dusty here too. Like if if I'm picking one of the two to come back, I'm going Dusty. Uh, I think that playing Maldi hundred and whatever games is a huge detriment to the team. Quite frankly, it's a liability offense. Whenever, especially whenever you have a really good hitting catcher. Like if you had Martin Maldonado point two, like who cares, right? Like if you didn't have another option, who cares? If you had light hitting Jason Castro, who cares? But because you have a really good option, it's significant. It matters. 
I think Dusty's doing a really good job. I know I get called a racist and people think I don't like Dusty Baker. I think Dusty's done a tremendous job. Dusty Baker has lost half of his six-man rotation, two of them for the year, one of them for three months. He's had to have tons of movable parts. J.P. France is getting huge innings when no one really knew who J.P. France was. Relying on a rookie pitcher in Hunter Brown. Christian Javier is not pitched up to Christian Javier's potential. Offensively, you had Jordan Alvarez gone for 40 games. Jose Altuve's missed a chunk of games as well, and he's been dealing with some players that probably weren't you weren't relying on to be starters every day, yet here the Astros are two and a half back with 40 to go and still seem to have World Series potential. I think on the aggregate, the overall, I think Dusty's done a tremendous job this season. Are we going to nitpick some minor decisions sure. that he makes in-game? Absolutely, because this is Sports Talk Radio. To me, this is a slam dunk. To me, this is Dusty back. I will paint this picture real quick, though, Blankers. I don't hate the idea of Martin Maldonado being back on next year's team, but it has to be with an understanding that he is the clear-cut understudy, no doubt about it. Look, I think as much as we kid around with the mound visits and we talk about it, I think what Maldi does behind the scenes is valuable. I think much like when analytics came onto the scene in terms of being a really key element that every team needed to have that wasn't in touch with in the past, I think... Maldi does take the, the, the behind-the-scenes research and game planning to another level. But I think he could teach that to any catcher that plays with the Astros. I think Yiner probably already is starting to learn some of those things. I know the pitchers really like that aspect of how deep he goes in terms of the breakdowns of each hitter. But other people can do that. I mean, it's the same way that you get all these different analytical people and these number crunchers that come in, and they can figure out how to do baseball analytics. People can figure out how to scout game plan for other teams, but the performance on the field, you could get any veteran catcher that's been in the league for a while. That probably is a much better bat than Maldonado to kind of also do some of the things that Maldi did behind the scenes, but also be a backup in case Yiner's not getting it or he Dusty doesn't feel he's always right there yet. And you wouldn't have the controversy you have this season. I, I think that Maldi would be a great tutor and mentor as, as Diaz gets the main play. But you're still going to have Justin Verlander on your team. You're still going to have a chance for him to catch maybe once a week. And he needs to. Like a catcher's position where you're not playing every day. Like a catcher's position where you're probably going to start behind the dish. Like Adley Rushman plays in almost every game. But he probably starts at catcher... Yeah, they're already worried of the about time, his games 75% of the plate, time. Yeah. So, like, you're not going to catch Yiner every day. Nope. You're going to catch Yiner the absolute most 80% of the time, four or five. And, and Yiner's bat might be so good where you're like, okay, let's catch Yiner three of every five games and then DH him the other two. Let's catch Yiner three of five games, have him play first base once, DH him once. Like, Yiner's bat, that's why they moved Craig Biggio to second because his bat was too good to be behind the dish because they wanted him to play every single day and you can't do that behind the plate. And let's just face it, the grueling expectations of an everyday catcher are just, it'll shorten your career. I mean, the wear and tear on your knees and your legs and being, you know, overheated in the mass time after time and the shots to the dome piece on foul balls and everything like that. That's why in Baltimore, they're already talking about Rushman being a DH and finding other positions for him to play because they're concerned about him breaking down as he gets older. Yeah. I mean, you, you, and that Yiner might get to that point. Like I'm uh, Completely honest. Yiner's value is behind the plate because it's hard to find offense behind the plate in general in Major League Baseball. But Yiner could get to the point in three years where 
you know, Abreu's contract's off the books. We're like, yeah, you know, this Yiner guy has a 900 OPS. This Yiner guy has the second best home run rate on our team. This Yiner guy needs to get 600, 650 plate appearances, not 400, 450 plate appearances. Maybe let's make Yiner Diaz our full-time first baseman. I don't think that decision comes until Abreu's off the books at the earliest. But I can, I, I can live, and I know that we're always critical of Maldi. We're going to be. We're going to be critical of everybody. I know we're critical of Dusty. We're going to be. We're always going to be critical of Dusty. Any manager we'd be critical of. I would be okay with Dusty back. I'd be okay with Maldonado back. But in very like, – Dusty's role is manager, but Maldonado needs to be a he very be specific role. Cannot be the starter under no circumstance. No. And that's why Dusty's the easy answer in this question is because it eliminates the possibility of Maldonado being the starter. Plus, when you look at it, too – when you were talking about how important it is when you can have a catcher that has really good offensive numbers, it can it has pop and can be a really uh, a, a destructive force offensively for you as well, and what a bonus that is. When you think about it, we can say the greatest players to ever play the game. We can rattle off some of the greatest of all time, and you can go with Bonds, and you can go with Aaron, and you can go with all these different guys that have done all these different things. When you talk about how rare it is to get great offensive catchers, it's Mike Piazza, it's Johnny Bench, the, the offensive catchers that have been dominant offense, uh, offensively are, are very few and far between, and they don't last very long. Remember, the Yankees were trying to push Gary Sanchez at such a big bat and such a force offensively behind the plate. He was a horrible catcher, and he's bounced around. Now he's having a decent resurrection of his season with, with San Diego. But overall, it's tough to find an offensive guy that can that can be a big part of your lineup as a catcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joe Maurer got moved. That's the, I mean, that's an MVP player right there. Started off a catcher, and they obviously moved him to first right. base. So there's not a lot of guys that stick and stay there. The only guy that I can really think that stuck and stay for his entire career that was a plus behind the play in as an offensive player was Pudge. How about I mean, Posey? Pudge was in the mix, too. And Buster Posey, Posey, yeah, Buster Posey too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but they're not a lot of them. I but mean, for us to struggle to Kyle find Schwarber them? Kyle started Pudge, off. Pudge was... Pudge was had some like really good offensive years, but Pudge was defense more than offense. Oh, he was known to be for his defense. Yeah, but he was a good offense. But he wasn't. Player, a, I'm saying. A, 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 he, yeah, he I, was. I, I I wouldn't say a. He's. I think he was above average major league hitter. Yeah, for sure. Pudge. Yeah, but he was like elite Gold Glove. Oh, absolutely. Like, he was so good defensively, you couldn't move him. Remember, away from he could the throw it from the seat of his pants. Oh, he yeah. was, You know, he was unbelievable. I loved him, and I love Benito Santiago, who used to do the splits behind the plate. Benito Santiago was. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yep, he sure um, was. Julio says, what about rolling Maldonado into a coaching role? I don't know if he's going to be ready for that. I don't know if he wants to do that. I think that he still might want to play. But I'm absolutely fine with Maldonado At being some, for the mound staff, visits. Especially nope. for the mound visits. <laughs> but I yeah. think that how, mound visit guy. between catchers and pitchers, the influence he could have from a coaching perspective, I think would be extremely valuable for any team to have on a coaching staff. I think if he wants to and when he wants to, there will be teams that would love to have him as a coach. Um, that's... That's um, uh, Molina with, with the Cardinals. Yeah. You know, he, he went right into the, uh, the WBC as a manager. Someday, Molina's going to make a hell of a manager. If he because wants to. He could call pitches if he wanted to. No. But he, the manager's I, not going to call pitches. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I said that for you because we got that earlier. But the fact is, is he's got such a grasp on all aspects of the game, and he was so good at being a guy that basically controlled the majority of the game behind the plate. He'd be a good manager. Eight two three four. If uh, Maldi, if Dusty is gone, Maldi isn't the starter. Zero uh, five eight. Oh, no, don't worry about that one. Yet. Nine zero four two. Maldi should come back because a new manager would relegate Maldi to what he is—a backup catcher. Dusty's got to go. And uh, one final one. Six nine four one. I don't love the language of this one. I'll take Maldi as the head coach. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. You can pick one player, one Houston Texan that has a breakout year. 
Who is that player? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.